Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we're taking you through the best bits of The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Why we do what we do in life and business. That's it. That's Charles Duhigg. Think about your habits. What happened when you woke up this morning? What did you do? Maybe you hopped in the shower, checked your email. Duhigg says maybe you grabbed a donut. I don't know if I've I've never done that as a habit, but maybe that's part of your daily routines. There's things that we do every day when we wake up without even realizing, without even thinking. Yeah, we go on autopilot. Last week, I uh, was meant to go catch up for a coffee with someone who's in a pretty high position and uh, someone I don't want to be, definitely want to be wasting their time. But because it was 7.30 in the morning and I woke up, went on autopilot, completely forgot about it and went to the gym and as I was eating breakfast, I got the call at 7.30 saying, hey, mate, I'm sitting in the cafe. Where are you? I oh, know. So habits, they can definitely work for you and work against you when you go on the auto routine mode. William James, the I guess the father of modern psychology, he wrote in 1892, all of our life so far as it has definite form is but a mass of habits. So everything we do day to day in our whole life is basically the function of the habits that we have. And if you got the wrong ones, it could really make your life pretty cooked. And this was the case for Lisa Allen at the start. She was about 34 years old and started smoking and drinking at 16 years old and always struggled with obesity and was stacking on the kilos for her whole life. And at one point in her mid-20s, the collection agencies were after her because she owed 100 grand in debt. Her old CV listed her longest job as lasting than a year. So Lisa was in a bit of trouble, but... uh. But 10 years after, she was sitting in front of the researchers of Doohick and she was a completely changed person. She had the toned legs of a runner. She looked a decade younger than the decade before of the photos. She had no outstanding debts. She didn't drink and was in her 39th, and in her 39th month at a graphic design firm. And it was four years since her last cigarette. So she obviously had all these shit-house habits that were throwing her down the gurgler. But now she managed to change all of her habits and become a completely new person with a different new life by changing all her habits. There's probably something you want to change in your life. Maybe you're a smoker, maybe you're a big drinker, maybe you spend too much money, maybe you're job hopping, maybe you eat the wrong kinds of foods and all of it boils down to habit. So looking into Lisa's story can perhaps give you a few clues as to how you can start to shift your life. She decided to take a trip to Cairo and she was so disoriented that she'd been on this long trip a big flight across the ocean. She got to Cairo. She was jet lagged, but she was desperate for a cigarette. She tried to light it up. And what she realized that she was actually trying to smoke a pen. She'd taken mm-hmm. a pen out of her bag, started trying to light it up. And when she was smelling plastic, that was really the thing that shook her, woke her up to realize that, hey, I've got to make some serious changes in my life. Hey, Lisa, yeah, time to change. And that's exactly what she did. And it was one habit was the first one she knocked over, which really just changed everything else for her. For her, it was her keystone habit, which was smoking. And I'll share a few similarities with uh, Lisa here. I think five years ago, I was a pack-a-day smoker. And after just kicking that one habit, a whole bunch of new ones followed on. One of the most positive habits, obviously, being reading as well. So I'll share a little bit with Lisa's story, just minus a few of her marathons and all the really cool shit she's doing. <laughs> Maybe that's still to come for you. But so she decided in that moment 
that uh, she really loved her trip to Cairo. She decided, I'm going to come back exactly one year later and I'm going to cross the Great Desert. And she realized that as part of that, she's going to have to give up smoking. She's going to have to eat better. She's going to have to lose some weight. She's going to have to uh, stop living on credit cards and start saving some money so she can have this other trip. So there were all of these things that built on that first trigger and that one shift made her change a lot of things in her life. Yeah, she basically just got her shit together. And that's what we're going to be covering for the rest of this episode is how we can look at habits from a scientific way and kind of engineer new and better ones into our life. But then also from the company's perspective, how they can engineer habits from a marketing point of view so they can grow the demand of their products. In the 1990s, researchers at MIT started looking into how habits were formed. And of course, uh, humans are too hard to study, so they started with the, the rats. What they did was they had rats in a cage inside a maze, and at some point there would be a click sound, the cage door would be open, and the rat was effectively released into the maze. At the start, the rats would just sniff around on the edges, walk down the corridors, go from side to side, looking everywhere, trying to work out what the hell was going on. Eventually, they got to a point where if they turned right, there'd be nothing. If they turned left, they'd find the chocolate at the end of the maze. And at the start, all these rats were in a frenzy of activity. Their brain waves were going wild. The researchers had these things installed to analyze their brain activity, specifically the basal ganglia. And they saw that there was, it was just a wild frenzy of activity. But after more and more times of these rats in the maze, they started to realize that the rats learned the patterns. They learned the directions they needed to take. They learned the twists and turns. And as soon as the click sound happened and the cage door opened, the rats eventually learned which directions to take and they'd run straight to the chocolate. So over time, their mental activity in the brain decreased as the route became more and more automatic, you don't really need the brain power as much as you did at the very start when you're hopping into the maze. So the process in which the brain converts a pretty wild sequence of actions into an automatic routine is called chunking. And this is really at the, at the core of how habits form. So there are dozens, if not hundreds, of behavioral chunks that we rely upon every single day. Think about like backing the car out of your driveway. Pretty simple thing to do, basic. But if you break it down task by task, or if you think back to the first time you really had a crack at it, it's a pretty wild thing to do. It involves opening the garage, unlocking the car door, adjusting the seat, inserting the key into the ignition, turning it clockwise, moving the rear view mirror and side mirrors, checking for obstacles, putting your foot on the brake, moving the gear shift into reverse, removing the foot off the brake, mentally estimating the distance between the garage and the street while keeping wheels aligned, monitoring the ongoing traffic and so forth and so forth. So there's... There's about 30 or 40 pretty complex chunking behaviors you're putting into this. And the brain activity for you is pretty minimal, just like it was for the rats running through the maze. Today, you just jump in the car, turn it on, whack it in reverse, and you're out on the street. You don't even realize how much you're doing because it's just become a habit. When you're first setting out, it's scary as shit. You're always constantly looking around you. You're constantly thinking uh, purposefully about what you're going to do. But as it becomes more and more of a routine your brain activity completely decreases and it becomes easier and easier. Habits emerge because the brain is constantly looking for these ways to save effort. Left to its own devices, the brain will try to make any routine you've got into a habit because habits allow our our brains to ramp up and down more often and to save that energy. So like our friend Lisa over there, pulling out her pen to have a ciggy, her brain obviously wasn't switched on at all and using any effort in that kind of routine and, and process 
just like you with whatever habit you're trying to change. If you're not following the right process, it's hard to get out of those routines you've already formed. Okay, so now back to the rats. What the MIT researchers found, looking at those brain waves uh, and the activity in the basal ganglia, remember at the start, there was just a frenzy of high activity. But as it became more and more routine, as it became more and more habit, they started to see a, a pretty consistently shaped graph. As soon as they heard a click sound, there was a spike in brain activity, and then it dropped down throughout the whole routine phase of walking through the maze. It was a very, very low brain activity. And then when they saw the chocolate, ran up to it, started nibbling, that's when there was another spike of activity. So we're sort of seeing nothing spike, nothing spike. And those two spikes occurred, firstly, when there was the cue, there was a click to say, okay, it's time to go and get that chocolate. And then the next spike happened when it was actually time to eat the chocolate. So this process or habit of the rat going into the maze and finding the food, it's a three-step loop. With that first spike, there is a cue. This is the trigger that tells your brain to go into automatic mode and which habit to use. Second, there's the routine, which can be physical, mental, or emotional. So that's the rat going on autopilot through the maze. And then finally, the third step is a reward. And this helps the brain figure out if this particular loop that it's already on is worth remembering for the future. So this is the three-step habit loop that we're going to be using in understanding habit change and habit formation. So through all of this research, this is what people boiled it down to. And this is what Duhigg, uh, is, it's a very popular book in the sense that it's uh, been read by a lot of people and referenced in many, many other books that we've read, is this thing that Duhigg's called the habit loop. And that's that three-step part of the, the cue, the routine, and the reward. And that's when something triggers you, and then you go into this automatic routine, and at the end, you get your tasty chocolate. It's been great research by Be The Doohig Man because it just shows us this, that habits aren't destiny. They can be ignored, they can be changed, and they can be replaced. And the reason discovery of the habit loop is so important, it reveals the truth that when the habit emerges, the brain stops participating completely in the decision-making and it stops working so hard and it diverts focus to other tasks as you're moving along. So unless you deliberately fight the habit and find that new routine at the very start, this pattern is just going to keep on going and keep it on going automatically and you're not going to be able to break this habit. Yeah, that's what, like if you're completely ignorant to this, that's why there's going to be a whole bunch of things that you do every single day without even realizing. There's going to be some cue that you don't even recognize. There's going to be some routine that you go through without even thinking. And then there's going to be some reward which you may or may not realize it's going to prompt you into doing it again. But thankfully, just being aware of this cycle, just being aware of this habit loop, we can start to become a bit more conscious and a bit more effortful in what we do. So rather than just being a, a victim of our habits, we can start to think a bit more actively about which habits we want to break, which ones we want to change, perhaps which ones we want to install instead. The loops can be so powerful, it can actually make you do some pretty dumb shit that are actually quite harmful for you. The rats again, these poor rats at MIT. <laughs> I think, rat, I think MIT are going to cop a lawsuit <laughs> with the, uh, the animal rights. They still do it. This is like 30, 40 years ago. They still do... They probably do, yeah. They probably do. Well, it's better than throwing humans in the maze, <laughs> I'd imagine. I suppose. I anyway, suppose. The, the, the rats were thrown back in the loop and they went through the same process with one change. They actually poisoned the food to make them violently ill or they even electrified the floors. The rats Jesus. were running through there. So when they moved, they got the reward. They'd get the shock. So the rats actually didn't learn about this shock and learn not to go and get the food even though this was the process. The first spike was so powerful into the routine, into the reward part that they kept on this habit and this kind of routine, which is not hard to find a comparison with the, with the human world. Think about fast food. Every time 
you got this cue to tell you to go and get McDonald's. You might have a big night out and you do your Macca's run on the way home or even big nights out in general or anything mm. like that. You do that, you wake up, you're feeling crook. You're like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> a week later, you have the same cue. You go through the same routine of a big night with your Macca's run on the way home. It's that powerful. You're doing it even though it's something that's very bad for you and you probably don't even want to do it anyway. Yeah, the more you spoke about it, the more I thought of some uh, some personal examples that Oof. that maybe yeah the cue the cue there is that maybe you you want to um, you're seeking I guess the the comfort or the emotional connection with other people you want to have a good fun night you go through the routine the routine maybe shifts over time maybe it started out as some harmless uh, coffee and chit chat maybe it morphed into a big Friday night out drinking a lot of beers having a HSP or a kebab on the way home feeling pretty crook so we don't even realize that our rewards they've been poisoned like the rats uh eating this uh, <laughs> eating this poison food but every time that we get that cue we still go through that same routine so habits are powerful but they're really delicate also so when your fast food restaurant might close down what they found was the families that previously ate at this restaurant they often start having dinner at home instead rather than seeking an alternative location of the mcdonald's store or whatever it might be so even just small shifts like this can change the whole entire pattern so habits are a very personal thing that we've all got different habits for different reasons, taking different cues, routines and rewards. But businesses have also learned how they can, I guess, prey or uh, maybe that's a, a very evil way of putting it, but they can mm. they can start to manipulate our own habits. In the Back to the early 1900s, there was this legendary marketer advertising man called Claude Hopkins. And one of his big success stories was Quaker Oats. And what Quaker Oats did was they gave you... Uh, if you ate a bowl of oats for breakfast in the morning, they gave you 24 hours of energy. But of course, what that means is every morning you wake up, you need a big bit of a dose of energy. You've got to have a bowl of Quaker oats and it'll last you for the full day. <laughs> so it was very clever to build on top of this cue that everyone has. Maybe they wake up, they're feeling hungry, they need some energy. So he's installed the routine and the reward of eating those Quaker oats and feeling good. He also spruced tonics, some of his other products that cured womanly problems that obviously <laughs> happen as a monthly occurrence. But again, a cue that happens regularly to actually build on top of. But of course, only if you drank it at its first appearance. So he seems to be this clever man, this Claude Hopkins. Uh, a company approached him. The company is called Pepsodent. And uh, they realized that after America was coming very wealthy, but as the income rose, their food intake actually got a lot worse. So they were seeing a lot of tooth problems, a lot of tooth decay, eating sugary foods, uh, eating worse and worse. So they wanted this guy, Claude, to work out, how can we sell this toothpaste to people to make their teeth better? So Claude knew from his experience, he had to go and find a cue and a reward to rope people in into brushing their teeth every single day. And he found a really brilliant one, actually. It was the tooth film, he'd say. And this is universal and almost impossible to ignore. If you're listening right now, just run your tongue over your teeth and you can have this thin, this thin film just sitting there and probably something is never something you'll never notice unless someone points it out to you. It's just this natural build-up over the day. This thing, it just happens. Uh, whether you're uh, eating well, eating poorly, whatever it is, over the day, this tooth film builds up. And it's this, if you think about it, if you run your tongue over your teeth, it feels a bit gross. And Claude thought that this was a good way to have a bit of a cue. Like the cue here is that you feel this yucky tooth film on your teeth. And then the reward is after you brush your teeth and it's gone. It feels fresh, feels clean. Uh, your teeth are feeling good again. Yeah, and that's what he did. 
in the advertisements, you got hot, beautiful people running the checking out, the, running their tongue over the film, and then a huge, beautiful smile showing that reward, the rewarding feeling you get after it. So what Claudie was selling, it wasn't beautiful teeth; it was a sensation. And once people crave that tool tingling at the after they've gotten rid of that film, they equated that with cleanliness from the advertisement. And because of this, Q routine reward brushing became a habit for all of America. Yeah, and you start to realize now that once you get in that habit, you can start to, I guess, feel it if you haven't brushed your teeth uh, in the morning or at the end of the day that you almost crave that reward of that tingling feeling, that fresh minty sensation, uh, and it gets you hooked and it gets you coming back for more and more and more. Uh, A similar sort of thing with shampoo is that shampoo is just like a liquid it does the job if you put it on there. But what people found was that if you actually make it foam up more and froth up more, you actually get a better reward. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a, a cheap shampoo that doesn't foam up, it's probably doing a very, very similar job. But if it froths up and gets really big and wide and fluffy and you feel like you're really working it well, it feels like it's mm-hmm. doing better. I get very excited when I see that foam go everywhere. I'm thinking, oh, that foam is <laughs> doing some serious shit. It's doing some serious cleaning. Or brushing your teeth, I did a natural toothpaste one time and it obviously didn't have that that tingling feeling that our mate claude put into all the toothpaste out there it's and not all, doing the job probably. it's not doing <laughs> yeah well it probably is doing probably do, is doing the same amount of work but without mm. that tingling feeling you just don't get that reward and feeling like it's doing anything do you yeah one i, I won't mention uh which but one of our uh, clients through the marketing agency i'm working at is a, a pharmaceuticals company and they i went to one of their product trainings and they actually talk about how much they focus on their soaps and body lotions and shampoos and conditioners. One thing that they really find important is how much it foams up and they can manipulate how much or how little the soaps suds up uh, and it's vitally important. They're sort of constantly working to find the perfect mix of not too frothy but enough frothy. So it's, uh, it's pretty crazy to think of like these small things that they're doing it's probably the cleanliness isn't as important as the frothiness. Mm, well, that's where they're throwing their bucks because they know they're going to get the most return is looking at the cue side of things and then the reward and optimizing them too as much as you can. And then the routine in the middle where it's the use of the product, that'll take care of itself. And so you're probably thinking now uh, that we know all of this information about habits, about the habit loop, about the cue, the routine and the reward. You're probably thinking, how do we actually go about changing a habit? And what... Big Charles, the big doohig man says, is he calls it the golden rule of habit change, is to change a habit, you keep the old cue and you deliver the old reward, but you insert a new routine. So that's the rule. So the cue and the reward stay the same, but the routine is the thing that you want to change. Let's say you eat a, let's say you got a habit you want to change. Every time you go to the cafeteria each afternoon, you grab a chalk chip cookie. Yeah, I'm saying that. that's something that I do a lot of as well. <laughs> so maybe I'll learn how to change it through the way. Every time I get a coffee in the afternoon, I'll grab a couple of bickies. And over a year, man, that you know that translates to a few pounds extra. Oh, it certainly adds up. Some people just try and stop and they'll put a few post-it notes around saying, no cookies, no cookies. <laughs> but every afternoon, you ignore the note, you get up, you wander to the cafeteria, get your coffee, get the cookie. And whilst chatting at the cash register, you eat the cookie and... Uh, and you feel pretty awful, but tomorrow you're, premise, you're promising yourself, you know, it's going to be different next time. So that vital step there of diagnosing the habit that you want to change, realizing that routine is every mid in the middle of the afternoon, you get up and you go and chomp down a cookie 
and then go back to your desk, that's the thing that we want to change. And so what we need to start doing here is finding, okay, why did we get up and go for the cookie in the first place? So what was the cue that drove us to get up from the desk, walk to the cafeteria and chomp down that cookie that we probably shouldn't have been eating? Was it cue hunger? Did we feel hungry we needed to go eat something? Was it boredom that we were sick of doing our work so we just needed a break? Was it we needed a bit of fresh air? Was it that we needed some kind of social interaction? We need to work out, okay, yeah, we ate that cookie, but what actually prompted us to go eat that cookie? And let's say that you identify the cue as the time of day and then the routine going to get the cookie and then the reward being the social conversation you have with a colleague at the cash register. So if we're looking to change this habit, what you might do is the queue, you do something at the same time, 3.30, and knowing that the reward is chatting with someone, rather than going to the cafeteria, you might get a cup of coffee and then go to someone's desk and bug them and just start chatting to them for 10 minutes. And then that's the reward, and then you go sit back down. For me, it's all about the, the sugar, so <laughs> the sugar hit. What about an apple? You're going to need an apple instead, get a sugar hit. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that and uh, report back. Yeah, I like it. Well, that's it. So once you understand the queue, as why did you routine get triggered in the first place once you understand the reward what are you actually getting out of it is it just eating the cookie or is it something bigger like some social interaction or going for a break then you can start to shift that routine in the middle there so experiment with a few different healthier more positive routines that are going to give you the same or similar reward been listening for a while i think you'll know by now that me and ashto we both love a good read and the ones we love the most we've really put down ranked and ordered into our top 50 we juked it out to some books we agree on a lot of them we don't agree on but i think this top 50 we both agree is pretty freaking phenomenal so if you want to check it out head to whatyouwillearn.com forward slash top 50 and you'll be able to get it for free